You're listening to a CNA podcast. It's the Money Talks podcast with me, Andrea Heng. We're changing things up today following our little series called This or That. You can check out those episodes on buying a car, an HDB flat or picking stocks. It's all available on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. From working through the pros and cons of big money decisions, we now look at the world of alternative investments. So if the names Rolex and Patek Philippe turn you off because you think they're just fancy wrist candy, you might want to reconsider. In recent years, they've increasingly gained a reputation as an investment asset. They've even outperformed gold and real estate. And sellers believe it's only going to get better. Much like stocks and property, some of these coveted timepieces are worth investing in, but only if you know which ones to choose. Our guests got their wrists wet in the world of luxury watches in their youth, trading high-end timepieces via an online marketplace. That online business is now a full-fledged dealership called Watch Capital, which they bravely opened during the pandemic. So who better than the men themselves to walk us through this investment phenomenon? They are Jared Ng and Joseph Ng, brothers and the directors of Watch Capital. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay. So why the fascination with watches? I believe, Jared, it was you that started it off as a hobby that you were really passionate about? Or did you realise off the bat that there was money to be made? To be honest, it started as a hobby, but uh, at the end of the day, who doesn't want to make money, right? <laughs> so basically what happened was my first watch was an uh, IWC, which I bought. And I actually uh, really loved uh, that watch. But it came a point of time where I got bored of it and I wanted to sell it. I listed it a bit higher, maybe I think $1,500 higher. And in the end, I, I managed to get it sold. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I made a profit of uh, $1,500. And at that point of time when I was, I think, uh, 20 years old, if I'm not wrong, 19, 20 years old, it's a lot of money to me. You know? Yeah, it's still a lot yeah, of money I to mean, me. I mean, yeah, it's still a lot of money to me. But I mean, yeah, $1,500 at that point of time when I was uh, still studying and all that. It's a lot of money. So I got interested in actually learning how to flip luxury watches. There are two different things. One is basically they're watch flippers. One, they're watch dealers. Watch dealers are ones with actually a store, a big inventory, and they move the products every day. Watch flippers, basically you buy a watch you like at a cheaper price. And then once you get bored of it, you just sell it. Okay. And you have maybe a one or two in your collection at any point. Is it always only boredom that makes you want to flip the watch though? Uh, not really. <laughs> Really, honestly, it was not really bottom, but it's more of the money too. Of, <laughs> yeah, course. of course. That was your first watch investment. So Joseph, how did you get involved in this? My brother actually dragged me into it. <laughs> <laughs> Willingly yeah. or unwillingly? Willingly actually, because it actually started with my dad. Mm. So he used to like collecting watches, buying timepieces, and whenever he gets bored of them after like a few years, he'll sell it up for a better complication. Did you have like a first watch investment? Yes, actually I found one Panerai. It was a very basic Panerai, three-handed. It was a smoked tobacco doll. Oh. Yes. And, it already um, sounds exotic. It's actually quite basic, but it was actually a very nice watch. And, and um, where is that? watch now sold <laughs> <laughs> okay so the brothers do not have sentimental value but that's not always a bad thing because if your focus is to flip it for money then you know why be sentimental about I it mean, right there is a sentimental watch which we have oh tell us about it that is actually a watch that was given to us by our parents after we graduated so my mom got me a rolex gmt from an ad i won't disclose <laughs> but she managed to get it at retail price right <laughs> yeah. and my brother i think uh, he got a rolex uh, submariner right yeah submariner. submariner oh those are nice yeah yeah, it's quite nice. It's basic and uh, very classic. So 
that is the only two watches that we will never sell. Oh, okay. So your parents gave these watches to you. Would it be safe to say that your parents sort of influenced you in a really big way about this love for watches and looking out for complications and things like that? Yeah, definitely. Especially my dad. I mean, he loved watches when he was younger. He started with Rolexes, mm. or Omegas, and then PP. Everyone kind of starts with Correct, Rolexes, exactly. right? But the funniest thing was that point of time, nobody really knows about flipping watches to make money, right? So I think that there wasn't carousel, there was nothing. Yeah, there was no there carousel. There was no platform to actually transact watches last time. So you only could go through dealers. That's right. So basically what happened was that he never ever made money on any watch. Oh no. <laughs> only uh, that one watch, I think it was particularly 5167A. That's the Equinaut. So he actually bought it for, I think, uh, 23000 And I think uh, a couple of years later, I told him, you know, the watch market went up. Carousel was, I think, born like a couple of years ago. So then that's where I started training on Carousel, right? So then I asked him, do you want me to list your watch on Carousel? And he was like, no. no wait, <laughs> you're probably going to get robbed or something. You so know he, I mean? he yeah. thought Carousel was not a yeah, good place to sell watches. Exactly. He thought it was a platform to sell other things, maybe a lower ah, quantum uh, item like water bottles or clothes. Secondhand you know, yeah. stuff, right? Nobody thinks you can sell a watch on Carousel. Oh, he know? is so wrong now. He's so wrong. So, so <laughs> that point of time, I mean, uh, after I saw his watch uh, over Carousel, he was like, oh, wow, okay. I think. Oh, did you get him hooked on yeah, it Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of got him hooked. <laughs> So that's where uh, the money started flowing and the investment started flowing mm. into our fund and then we moved up from there. Ah, okay. So that's where the story is, where it got set up. Okay, so that's when you realised there was sort of brisk demand for trading luxury watches. And this was some years ago, even before the pandemic, right? Did the pandemic accelerate that? Yeah, I think the pandemic did accelerate that because people were basically uh, doing nothing with their money then. And they were bored. So people just started to find new hobbies. And so happened that, okay, at that point of time, I would say before the whole uh, watch market crashed, you can't really lose much on a watch. Let's just say you buy a watch that's worth like 100,000. Usually you just lose uh, maybe a couple of thousand. It's like, a fair depreciation. Few. It's a fair depreciation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It looks like the watch trading sector was as big a victim of the whole pandemic surge and then now post-pandemic sort of drop as well. So Joseph, can you tell me about the demographic of the people that do trade luxury watches? What exactly are they buying when they shop around for a luxury watch for an investment? Usually I recommend my clients to get something that they really like instead of looking at it as a way to invest first. At the end of the day, when you buy something you like, it doesn't matter whether it goes up, down, left or right. But when it comes to investing, of course, you wouldn't want to lose money, right? That's the main point of investing. I would recommend looking for quantums below the 30,000 range because I think nowadays to pay like 20,000 and above for a classic Rolex GMT or Daytona, I think it's very normal compared to last time whereby the prices were I think below 10,000. Oh, those days are gone. Correct. You have to adapt to the market. You can't look back and say, okay, I'll wait for it to drop to this price and then I'll buy it. So it's not really like stocks then where you are looking at a particular model that you think will serve the best purpose in terms of returns. Your advice is actually to get something that you are particularly drawn to. It doesn't necessarily have to be the most expensive or the most exotic or the most complicated. Yes, correct. Because you're getting utility from it, not as a money point, but also satisfaction wearing the watch. Do you wear the watches that you trade in? Yes. Okay, so that's where I guess that buffer of depreciation comes in then. Yes, correct. In recent years, these watch investments, they have been seen to outperform stocks, real estate. It's also seen to outperform safe havens, your traditional safe havens like gold. Would it be safe to say then that watches can be seen as the new safe haven of sorts? I would say yes to a certain extent, but the watch market is also vulnerable to economic conditions. Mm. So, of course, if a recession hits, let's say, a few months' time, the watch market will definitely take a dip. 
But those watches that have already depreciated, like let's say 20-30% from retail, let's talk about Hublots or Panerai's or Cartier's, the prices won't drop so much. There won't be like a 50% drop again. There will probably be like a maximum of 5-10% drop. Or if not, the price will actually stay because the watch has already depreciated from the retail price that much. But for, let's say, Rolex, AP, Patek, Richard Mille, the hyped pieces, Easy the pieces of the, the, the watch. <laughs> That's a good right. one. They'll definitely take a, I would say, 20-30% hit. And when those models get hit, is it advisable to hang on to them until the market picks up again? Or? It really depends on what you can do with the money. So let's say if you can pull out the money and reinvest it into, let's say, like wines or stocks or whatsoever, and you are certain that you will definitely make a return, then why not? But I think that time will be a very good time to buy a lot. Of course. Yes, correct. <laughs> if you have that access, why not, right? Yes. Okay, so it really does boil down to the type of watch that you buy. So the Richard Meals versus the Hublots are completely different leagues. I've written about high-end timepieces before in a past life. I get the appeal. Okay, I get the appeal for collectors, hobbyists. So Jared, what should we look out for in an investment piece then? If you talk about like watch investing purely, you have to buy models that hold value very well. Rolex Daytona, uh, Patek Philippe Nautilus, uh, Patek Philippe Aquanaut, all the classic uh, hype models, like, even did just now are holding values quite well, depending yeah. on the dials. The Oyster Perpetual Oyster also. Perpetual, yes, yeah, correct. big, big yeah, demand now. big demand now. If you want to do watch investing, you have to look at the market as a whole and see which are the ones in demand and buy those in demand, put it in your safe and hope that it's going to go up in value in the next like two, three months. But I think the whole watch market changed in a way by last time, I think, one, two years ago, people are expecting to buy a watch and make like maybe a thousand, two thousand in a week because the market was just going up so fast. So, but now gone are the days. Now you're just waiting for a long-term appreciation. Watch investment, yes, is a good investment, but it's a very long-term kind of thing. You don't expect to make like 10% in a year. It's a long-haul yeah, it's commitment. Yes, a long-haul kind of commitment. Okay, kind of okay. So, you cannot just walk in to a Rolex nah, boutique to get yourself <laughs> an Oyster Perpetual, a Daytona. You can't get a Patek Philippe Aquanaut from the boutique and just walk out of there and like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. investment ready. <laughs> Correct. There's a long queue, apparently, like literally a long queue in the system. And it's a global system, I understand. And there's also a very strict verification process involved. So it's not as straightforward as it seems if you want to invest in a watch. It's a good thing for customers, actually. Because if you can get like a Rolex or a Patek readily available at the boutique, there won't be any more demand for it. You can compare it to like an MS Birkin or Kelly back. You can't get it, so there's demand for it and it goes above retail. But the reason why is because you can't get it at a boutique. It's a good and bad thing because it's good because the value goes up, but it's a bad thing because customers can't get their hands on it at retail price. So those that get it, <laughs> just keep it. What are the other ways that we can get our hands on a timepiece like that then? You can go to grey dealers or the procedure is basically to buy less desirable pieces that go below the market value and get a few of them and hope that your AD will offer you the rare timepieces. Okay, and an AD is authorised dealers. Correct, authorised dealers. Right, yeah. okay. Or the Rolex boutique itself. Hey everyone, my name's Stephen Chia, and I'm host of CNA's weekly news podcast, Heart of the Matter. Now each week, my job is to ask questions you have, like why is the COE so high? Why aren't singles dating? Or what is going on with the red-hot property market in Singapore? If you want the views behind the news, then tune in each week as we get to the heart of the matter. We are on the CNA and Me Listen apps and wherever you get your podcasts. Hit follow or subscribe so you don't miss an episode when it drops. 
there's this worry about counterfeit items, right? I know for sure that luxury watches are not exempt from this. I have seen those fakes myself. So of course, there are watch dealerships such as yourself, Watch Capital, right? You have this catalogue of certain watches that are in demand. You advise people on how to invest in them, what to look out for, that sort of stuff. And so in addressing counterfeits, how do you then help verify that what we're buying is authentic? Let me tell you, counterfeits now really is next level crazy. (laughs) Especially for Rolex Submariner, they can literally recreate the entire movement and make it look very similar to the original movement. See, I mean, I don't even trust myself. (laughs) I trust my watch technician. (laughs) So those are the people who have been servicing watches for 10, 20, 30 years. These are technicians that came out of Rolex or Patek Philippe or Richard Mille. They set up their own service centre. So these are the people I think you can really trust. And are these technicians certified in any way by the Uh, brands themselves? Or how does that work? They're certified by the brands in a way but they've worked for the brands before. So they will have gained the knowledge while working for the brands like what's the real part, what's the real movement kind of thing. Basically, these brands, they just give you two options. The first option is that you can service it outside. Second option is that to play it safe, go back to the authorised service centre. If you're holding on to a really high-end timepiece, like, I mean, Patek Philippe, Richard Mille, um, these kind of pieces, you should really go back to the authorised service centre. Because let's just say if they mess up one part, I mean, outside, it's going to cost you a bomb <laughs> inside. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, unless you buy insurance, which you can. But these kind of timepieces, they only can be serviced by technicians inside if the movement is really complicated. So if you have something like a Skymoon Tourbillon that costs 7 to $8 million, I don't think you're going to service it outside, right? <laughs> no <laughs> so, Yeah, so you have to go back to this Patek Philippe, the service centre, and they can do everything. But watch servicing is really costly. Four years ago, I put a Richard Mill inside the service centre. It cost me like, I think, four grand. Now it's going to cost me at least, I think, eight to ten grand just to service the watch. Wow. Which is ridiculous, honestly. Wow, it's, just it's ridiculous. to service the yeah. watch. I'm very aware of the luxury handbag trade. They have special cameras and scanning systems and other processes that involve paperwork and certification and whatnot to verify its authenticity. Is there something like that in the watch world? In the watch world, you can actually bring it to a watch technician and they can check it out. Right. But they won't really give you a piece of paper. I think the pre-owned site, right, they offer you a certificate of authenticity. But it's their own authenticity card. So it's not really like uh, from MS itself. Right. And I think there were some disputes. So basically, I think the only person you can trust is maybe the watch technicians. Right. Which we actually recommend our clients. Some of my clients come to us and tell us, you know, I have this opportunity to purchase this watch at this price, which is quite a good price. But I don't know if it's authentic or not. So I always recommend them to trusted watch technicians. So they will actually basically bring it there and do their checks. When you acquire these watches from sellers, do watches with, say, a card of authenticity command a higher price? Definitely. So if the watch comes to guarantee card, it'll command a price of maybe at least 15% higher than one which comes without the card. I recommend all the watch investors to actually keep your watch with the original guarantee card or the guarantee certificate. Of course. Because if not, when you actually sell the watch to dealers like us, we actually value your watch way lesser than the market price. That's very good advice. I suggest that just keep it in the safe. Sometimes my clients are just like, ah, who cares about the guarantee card? I was like, trust me. You will need it. Yeah, you need it. Just wear your watch, keep the guarantee card somewhere in your safe where all your weapons are. It doesn't take up a lot of space. Yeah, it, doesn't, really? it doesn't just put it in your safe <laughs> lock it up and just don't think about it yeah, exactly. and when it comes to the time where you want to sell your watch take it out and sell it yeah because 15% more in value it's is lot, big it's yeah lot. it's big when it comes to high quantum prices especially, especially. the bigger end time pieces for example a Patek Philippe Nautilus 5980 the one with the chronograph it has been discontinued so the prices are of course are skyrocketed 
People at that point of time bought it for I think forty fifty thousand, but now it's worth like I think hundred and fifty. Right. I think the ones without the guarantee card, dealers are only taking in for maybe eighty to ninety. But then the ones that comes with the warranty cards, we are taking in for at least one ten, one twenty. So it's a difference of at least thirty thousand dollars just on a piece of paper. Okay, so you talked about insurance as well. Is that something that watch dealerships can assist with? Yes. So they can actually purchase insurance on their watches if let's say they fall down and the watch is damaged or oh, if it's my stolen. Heart break. <laughs> yeah. So for some customers, especially when the quantum of the watch is above 50,000 or 100,000. They will want to insure it. Or if not, I would say just keep it well. <laughs> <laughs> what are the things that they need to consider when you're investing in a watch? Usually when they don't want to lose money on their watches, we recommend them not to scratch it up, bang it up. General safety rules. Correct. Okay. Yes, because it affects the watch value. So right. for example, for us dealers, we rather take in a watch that is a better condition but has been polished before rather than a watch that has been beat up. And after I polish it, it will be blunt. So it won't sell as well as an unpolished It's just not pristine anymore. Piece. Correct. So watch investing, right? It may not be as straightforward as you think. You have to service your watch, keep it in perfect time. Final words of advice for those looking to get into the world of luxury watch investing. Let us start with you, Joseph. Get a Rolex Submariner. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, because Rolex Submariner, I think, yes, to the test of time. And especially when they reintroduce the newer 41mm models compared to the olden, like the vintage aluminium bezel, it looks much better and, you know, you wear it and you get satisfaction out of it. And at the same time, you get to make money. 10 years 20 years down the road and you Jared at this market buy now because honestly I mean the prices came down a lot it shows that at that point of time if people were buying it for the ridiculous prices there's a potential again you just don't know when so I think if you ask me honestly I think stick to these models too like maybe Rolex Patek Philippe and Ademars PA these models are the ones which will hold their value really well you will take a depreciation of course but it won't be as big of depreciation as a Hublot or you know uh, some other brands so yeah I suggest you just stick to these three brands okay this is common knowledge yeah. yes, in the watch trade okay. I also feel that you never know what's going to happen last time when Richard Mayer introduced himself in I think 2001 the watches were going below retail. A $100,000 watch was going for, I think, 30000 $40,000. It was like a 70% hit. But now, try getting one at retail and it's impossible. You really never know what's going to happen in the watch trade. So it's quite exciting in that sense. Yes, correct. So the global economic mood is quite downbeat. Could this be the moment for you to consider alternative instruments for a more secure buy-in? As with any investment, the homework behind it could be worth the time. Thanks, Jared and Joseph, for clocking in the details of luxury timepieces as an alternative investment. Certainly a space worth watching, but make sure you pick the right time to make your move. And thank you to you, our listener. If you've enjoyed this episode of Money Talks, there's more content for you to enjoy. Simply follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give us five stars or leave a review while you're there. The team behind Money Talks is Jacqueline Chan, Joanne Chan, Crispina Roberts, Sai Wint and I'm Andrea Heng. <laughs>